Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. It's Russell Wilson Day today. I have on ESPN Seahawks reporter Brady Henderson to discuss Wilson and the possibility that he'll get traded this offseason. Brady and I spoke on Monday morning about Wilson and much more, including the Super Bowl where Brady will be helping ESPN's coverage. There's one hard question to answer for Seattle if it indeed traded Wilson, especially to Washington. You can follow Brady on Twitter at Brady Henderson, and you can read both our work, of course, on ESPN.com. Of story up Friday about Chase Young talking about his rehab, Joe Burrow, and this past season for him. That also will be in podcast form as well. So you can read some highlights, but catch the whole thing here. And as you've heard me mention once or twice now, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Go to Empire Media Network, excuse me, yeah, Empire Media Network, Empire Media, A-M-P-I-R-E, and hit subscribe on YouTube so you can hear or watch this podcast and check out more of Empire's programming. Before I play my conversation with Brady, I did want to talk about Wilson for one minute. Brady will discuss the reality of the situation at that time and, and give you some good insight into what's going on there and the possibilities. But one thing that could be an obstacle is the fact that Wilson has a no-trade clause. Last year, there were four teams on his list, Chicago, New Orleans, Las Vegas, and Dallas. Well, the Bears have Justin Fields, and he's definitely worth seeing how he develops. There was only one wild scenario where I thought, like, depending on who came in to the Bears, if they really didn't like Justin Fields, would they do something? But I just it, – clearly that's not going to happen. And um, I personally would try and develop Fields. And I think that's clearly what the Bears seem like they are going to do as well. So take them off the list. Vegas still has Derek Carr, unless he's going somewhere, unless the – and if, if the Raiders did trade Derek Carr and, and what Russell Wilson's involved, it's possible that they would just swap teams. Dallas has Dak Prescott. Not going there. That leaves the Saints, and they just lost a huge lure. Sean Payton, the head coach. So if Wilson really wants to get – dealt, he'd have to pick new teams. That's where Washington enters. I know Kevin Sheehan talked about this on 980 the other day in Washington, but I've heard some of what he has. Now, I'm not going to say I pretend to know what Wilson is thinking. I don't. Unless I hear something from somebody directly in his camp, I wouldn't report any sort of interest he has here or pretend to know what he's thinking or why he might be asking certain questions. I don't know if he wants to come here. I did hear the other day, like Kevin, that Wilson has at least was at least inquiring about Washington and what it was like here, trying to do basically I would classify it as doing due diligence on a team that would be interested in him if he truly becomes available, whether based on his desire or Seattle's. In other words, to those who spoke with him, it didn't seem like he had dismissed the possibility or would use that no trade clause automatically when when it comes to Washington. I'm also quite sure, since the other teams on his list might be no-goes right now, that Wilson would be asking about other possible teams as well. Nothing more at this stage uh, than that, so you'd best be to keep all this in perspective and not take some big leaps of faith or extrapolate from here too far. Keep in mind, John Allen is a good rep for the franchise. He was with Wilson at the Pro Bowl. Of course, so was Brandon Sheriff, and at this point, it's hard to imagine him returning. 
I know that Washington has its sales pitch ready for Wilson or any QB that is indecisive about coming here. They'll sell the possibility of a strong defense um, and some of their young offensive talent, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, the return of Logan Thomas, the possible or likely return of J.D. McKissick. I say they still need more help here. You know, even if Curtis Samuel is healthy, I still would go out and get another playmaker because they need more somebody. They need more options at the end as far as playmakers, but they could still do that. And they'll sell the chance to be part, a huge part of their rebrand and become the face of a franchise. And for Wilson's wife, the proximity to New York, it's a lot closer than Seattle. I have no idea if that matters to her or not. There's a massively long way to go before there's any legitimate reason to believe something could happen. Like I said, at this point, all that I would say is that the, that he would not automatically use a no trade clause when it comes to here, but what he finds after maybe talking to about Washington with other, with other people, he knows we'll see. Having said all that, let's talk more Russell Wilson. So after this break, I'll be back with someone who knows him and Seattle. Well, ESPN reporter Brady Henderson, does he see a path to where Seattle would trade him? But what is the biggest obstacle? We also discuss a recent ESPN Plus article in which we could trade for one of a handful of quarterbacks. I made a strong offer for Wilson. What was it and was it accepted? Again, there's one big stumbling block in this situation. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 to get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 286 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code KIME at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Brady Henderson. Brady, we kind of had this conversation back in November when Seattle played here and talking about Russell Wilson. I don't know that a lot has changed since then, but I'm curious, like, you know, we're several months away where, you know, Russell's name is going to be bandied about because any team that would want a quarterback would be interested in him. What's your take on his situation with Seattle at this point? Well, John, I, I think you and I, this may not be the last conversation we're going to have about it, just because <laughs> I, I do think that this is going to continue to be um, a topic of conversation for at least the next couple months, even though ultimately I think it's, I don't, I don't know if I could put a percentage on it, but I, I, it doesn't seem likely to me that he gets traded. And I think that's for a number of reasons, a very big reason being that um, it's just not a good draft for quarterbacks at all, as you know, and um the, the massive, you know, the all-important question for the Seahawks is if you're trading Russell Wilson, who's going to play quarterback for you? And, uh, you know, if you're not that there's ever really a good time or a good situation to be moving on from your franchise quarterback, but this is not the year to do it uh, just because the, it's not a good draft for quarterbacks at all. So there's other reasons that we could get into, but that's a pretty big one. And so that said, as unlikely as it is for that reason, I don't think it's out of the question. And 
you know, there was a very interesting comment from Pete Carroll after the season, talking to one of the local TV stations in Seattle, where the question was basically, uh, do you think you can get through an offseason without all of the speculation and the rumors uh, that persisted last offseason? And it was a perfect opportunity for Carroll to squash everything and to say, Russell is our guy. We're not trading him. And he didn't do that at all. And he basically, um, not in so many words, but he basically said that they're going to listen to trade offers for him. Um, you know, in, in his own sort of somewhat vague Pete Carroll wording, uh, that was that was clearly the message that I took from it is that they will at least listen uh, because that's what the owner wants them to do. And it's all about making the team better and blah, blah, blah. So I, I do think that we're going to be in for some of the same uh, rumors and, and speculation. And I just I don't think you can rule it out as unlikely as I think it is. Why? Uh, so my question would be, too would be the guy still can play, right? Why would Seattle want to trade him if he can still play for like, if I'm Washington, I'd say I'd like to get him because I think he can play for the next five years at a certain level. Why would Seattle want to trade him? Well, I, I think. I not even want, based- but why, you know, maybe want might be the wrong word, but maybe why would they? Why would they, you know, I, I think there's, there's, there's some thought that, you know, the relationship is, um, you know, it's strained. I don't, I don't think the relationship, at least not right now, from what I've heard, I, I, it's, I don't think the relationship is so toxic that it's untenable and that they have to trade him. And that was really the, the kind of position I was taking in our exercise we did at ESPN.com where I served as um, you know, the Seahawks GM and, and fielded trade offers from you and from other NFL Nation reporters. I mean, it, it's, I, I don't think at all it is so toxic that it's just a, a, an unworkable situation. But there is some tension there, and that tension really bubbled to the surface last offseason when Wilson said what he said. And so I, I do wonder if the relationship may have a shelf life. Um, Wilson, I think, is has been frustrated for a number of reasons, one being that you know he, he wants to win multiple championships, multiple MVPs, and he has wondered if Seattle is the best place uh, for him to do that. I think there's been some frustration on the Seahawks' part. Uh, certainly with the way that he came out and said what he said last offseason. And I also wonder if the Seahawks, if they wonder about the long-term viability of continuing to pay quarterbacks at, you know, these massive, massive salaries that, you know, the quarterback market is outpacing, you know, the, the growth in the salary cap. And so, you know, they're probably next year, if, if they continue on the current track, you know, Wilson's probably going to get a deal worth $45 million or he would be in line for that kind of extension. And, I think that they have wondered how viable that is to keep paying quarterbacks these massive salaries and have to, you know, skimp elsewhere as you're, as you're trying to build a roster around those huge contracts. I mean, they have sort of lived in both of those worlds. Remember they had Wilson um, on his, you know, rookie contract as a third round pick who was making nothing and they could spend all the money they wanted around him. And that's really how they, they won their first Super Bowl and got to the next one is the financial flexibility they had. And now they've been in that other world where, they're paying you know, Wilson as one of the, the highest paid quarterbacks and they're really having to make tough decisions around him. So I think there's a number of reasons, a number of reasons why I think they would at least consider it. With Russell, how do you see his game aging? Because I guess that's a question for any team. Cause you're, you know, to get him, you'd have to give up a lot of draft capital and then ultimately cap space is, is how do you see his game aging? Well, John, he has talked openly about wanting to play uh, for another, you know, 10 plus years. He's 33 right now. Um, he, he has very much talked about wanting to do what Tom Brady does, play well into his 40s. And 
you know, Wilson, I, I think, takes care of, of him, of his body as well as a lot of quarterbacks, you know, better than most quarterbacks do. And, you know, he's got this performance team that he spends. I don't know the exact number on it, but I know that it is a lot of money that he spends on, you know, a team of trainers, uh, massage therapists, uh, movement specialists, yoga, uh, all that. He calls it his performance team. And so he, he is very much, you know, doing that with an eye towards playing a very long time. As far as how well his game is going to age, I think that's a legitimate question because, you know, unlike Brady, Wilson's game has been more about movement and escapability. And you just, you wonder if, you know, what, how much the athleticism and how much the escapability is going to wane as he gets, you know, into his late thirties. That hasn't been an issue for Tom Brady because his game was never really built on that. He's always been a pocket guy. And so uh, I I think that is a, a fair question to wonder about, but certainly he has the longevity, I think, to, to play into his 40s. Um, where do you feel his level of play is at right now? Like, you know, we last year, for most of the year, he was in the MVP discussion. And then this year, he was doing pretty well at injuries. So what, where's his level of play right now? Yeah, that, that is an interesting one that I think the Seahawks have to, you know, before they do anything, before they, they start fielding trade offers, and before they make any decision there, I think they've really got to take a, a, a long look at that. And I think logically – what's most likely is that he had a down season because the finger was giving him trouble, even when he came back. And, and Wilson said um, when he came back that his finger was fine and he continued to downplay it, even though, you know, he was missing throws that you just never see an accurate quarterback like that miss. Um, and it's just, it stands to reason that when, you know, the middle finger on your throwing right. hand, which might be the, the very last thing that touched the football when it goes out of your hand, um, you know, he had surgery on that. There was a, a fracture, a dislocation, and a, a tendon rupture. And so he came back very quickly from that injury. Um, I think some might argue that he came back maybe earlier than he should have. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's a separate conversation. But, you know, it, he finished the season strong. I think that was an important part of this whole evaluation is that, you know, he was, I think, in the first three games back, he was in the 20s in terms of total QBR and you just saw the very odd misfires. And then the next few games, he started to climb back up. And then over the last two games, he was really good. He led the NFL in, in total QBR over the last two games. So I think that was evidence that he's going to get back to being Russell Wilson and that what you saw for, you know, when he got back was just residual effects of that finger injury. So as you brought up our little quarterback exercise and for people who weren't familiar with it at ESPN plus, there's a, is a basically a quarterback trade simulator. Now, for people listening, I ended up with Derek Carr. So I got that deal done. Whether they can or not, I got it done. I tried to get Russell Wilson. I think my offer was, what, two firsts and two seconds. Does that come close, and what else would it take? I mean, it didn't – because it didn't get it done. So what? What? how close could that get it? Yeah, and your offer was – it might have been the strongest offer of any. I think there was seven or eight that uh, – that came in for Wilson, your offer and New Orleans offer, Mike Triplett made a pretty strong right. offer. I think he had a couple first round picks in there too. Um, and, and you and I over the phone, you know, we, yep. we played uh, GM over the phone. Which was kind of fun. It was. Yeah. And, and I tried to squeeze a little bit more out of you, but I, I still don't think that, um, that, you know, whatever we discussed, I think we discussed the possibility of at, you know, throwing Taylor Heineke Taylor in there Heineke. Yeah, as a bridge quarterback. I, I just still, even then, I don't think that gets it done. And again, it goes back to the question of if you're the Seahawks, who's going to play quarterback for you? I, I don't think, um, you know, somebody like Heineke, even if it was understood that he would be a bridge guy to the next franchise quarterback, 
I still wonder, you know, would they look at it and say, how are you going to sell Taylor Heineke to the rest of your team and to your fan base? As, as good as he is, has been in that role, you know, it very much remains to be seen if he has a long-term answer. And so I just think the Seahawks, they have always talked about, you know, one of the, the repeated phrases that John Schneider always uses is talking about how they want to be a champion, consistent championship caliber football team, which is his way of saying that they don't want to be the team that takes a step back in order to, you know, maybe take a step forward, take two steps forward. He's talking about always wanting to be in the mix. And I just don't think you get there by sacrificing a year with the bridge quarterback. And so um, what I think is, I, I think it would take something in the neighborhood of three first round picks and more importantly, uh, some sort of a viable path to a quarterback who can win them a championship. And um, it's just hard to imagine that guy being in this year's draft and, it's not like teams have that guy already on their roster that they're willing to trade. And so, you know, an, another issue that I, I ran into in this exercise, John, is that, you know, any team that Wilson goes to is probably going to make them a playoff team. Now the, the giants were involved in this exercise and they might be the exception there just because they need a ton of work. Uh, but aside from the giants, if you trade Wilson to Washington or to Cleveland or to new Orleans, that team is probably going to be a playoff team, right? Meaning they're going to be picking in the late twenties next year. And right. now all of a sudden, if you're the Seahawks, and you, you didn't get that quarterback this year because it's a bad draft for quarterbacks and you're putting your eggs in, in the basket of getting it next year. Well, that's going to be hard too, because then you're picking in the late twenties. And, you know, if there's three or four guys that you feel good about in that draft, they might be long gone by the time it's your turn to pick. And so, it's just you, you add it all up and you go through all the scenarios and it's just hard to imagine a situation, at least with the offers that uh, that came about in this exercise. It was just impossible for me to see the Seahawks taking any of them. And and you even looking at like next year, if they got, let's say, Washington gets in there in their 20s, they would still have their own pick, right? They still have their pick in 23. I guess you could package it, but it does make it harder. And it kind of relies on the Seahawks being really bad to be in a position to package something to move up for one of those guys, which could be a stronger class. But yeah, there's, there's definitely more risk involved in that. So I don't, I don't, I didn't blame you for not taking it. And I think I was probably a little bit more generous on Derek Carr than people, but I think it was actually realistic based on what I heard. It was, I think a first and a conditional four that could bump up to a two. Um, but that was based on people I talked to in the league as well. Um, but you know, I think Russell would be a guy that they would like here because he's from here. He's got he could sell a rebrand and it would they definitely need somebody that can go up there. But it's a steep price. It's a steep price to pay for for any player and especially with the money involved. You know, and what what's it what's it been like there for him? Because early on when he was there, you'd hear things about him with the, in the locker room. It always seemed like there was always seemed like you'd hear things about whether it's with Sherman or other guys, like how he was in the locker room. How's he how's he viewed there? within the team and all that. Yeah. And that stuff was very real. Uh, Seth Wickersham, our colleague wrote this fantastic piece about it in 2017. And I, I don't think that I, I know that everything in there was real, but I don't think that that was necessarily a universal thought uh, about Wilson. I think it was a handful of guys who felt really strongly about that. And there were other prominent players who I think, you know, they, they, they didn't share those same views. And I've always thought, you know, Sherman uh, was definitely one of those guys that had animus towards Wilson. And I, and there was other guys, you know, I, I don't think KJ Wright ever really had an issue with Wilson. There were other players who came out and defended him. And I always thought it was interesting and, and maybe not coincidental that a lot of the guys who did not feel that way about Wilson 
had been in other places. Whereas the guys like Sherman and, and some of the other players, Doug Baldwin, uh, I, you know, it's pretty well documented that he and Wilson were, did not all, they weren't the best of friends. Right. You know, those guys had only been in one locker room. Other guys had been in other places. And I think it's interesting that, you know, maybe some of those other guys had been with other quarterbacks and had seen that, you know, that's just kind of the way it is to some degree with quarterbacks in the NFL. They do get special treatment. They are kind of extensions of management in a way. And so um, I thought it was interesting that, you know, the Michael Bennett's, uh, Cliff Averill's, those guys weren't the guys who were sounding off about Wilson. And they had been in other places. And I, I think it's because they had seen that what's going on in Seattle, um, it's, it's maybe not as abnormal as some of the homegrown guys had thought it was. And then last thing, you are helping out with the Super Bowl coverage for ESPN. So you've you spent a lot of time covering the Rams. What, first of all, you know, do, what's your general take on this game and this matchup? Yeah, this is exactly what the Rams have been uh, building for for the last few years. And, and really this year in particular, um, you know, you've heard the phrase, you've heard a lot of talk about the Rams going all in for 2021. And, you know, really, they, they've sort of been going all in for a while. It, when you talk about all the, the first round picks they've traded. I think the last first round pick they made was when they drafted Jared Goff first overall in 2016. So that has kind of been the model for them the last few years is trying to build up, uh, build a roster of star players to try to get people in LA in that very competitive sports market in LA where the Lakers have won all their championships. The Dodgers have won all their championships. There's like 10 plus pro sports teams plus, uh, you know, two major universities. I think it's really hard to compete in that LA landscape and the Rams uh, COO Kevin Demoff was had some pretty honest comments about that, talking about how it's, you know, they're really trying to play the long game, um, knowing that, you know, as much as a Super Bowl win would help them in that regard, that it's not going to happen overnight. But certainly that has been part of their MO is trying to, to you know, sign and, and trade for star players who are going to get people in L.A., a star town, you know, to care about them. And I think that is was especially true this year. And, and they really went all in this year. I mean, they don't have a first round pick until 2024 because of the Matt Stafford trade. Uh, they traded their second and third round pick for Von Miller. They've got all sorts of cap issues. I think they're currently projected to be like $8 million over the cap for next year. So it's going to make it hard to resign Odell Beckham Jr., Von Miller, Andrew Whitworth, their stud left tackle has a huge cap number. So this is a team that is very much built to win right now. And I think the pressure is way more on them than it is on an up and coming team with a you know second year quarterback, a bunch of other young star players in Cincinnati. And so um, that's just in terms of matchups, I think the matchup is Aaron Donald and Von Miller versus yeah. a, a you know an offensive line in Cincinnati that at least on paper it looks like it's going to be pretty overmatched. But I think in the bigger picture, what's interesting to me is that this is going to be the Rams' best chance to win a Super Bowl in probably a, a long time. And it just so happens that they're doing it at home. Uh, they got a chance to do it at home in their $5 billion stadium. And so uh, it's a fascinating storyline. And, and I, I, But again, I think that's why the pressure is way more on the Rams in this game, for whatever that's worth. And last thing with this, too, the difference that Matthew Stafford has made, can you see it? You, you've covered the games against them. You've seen that a few times. Compared to Jared Goff, how much difference has Stafford made? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have a, a, a great frame of reference for the Goff era, just other than when I saw him play the Seahawks. Right. Um, but, you know, I think you, you see when, when the game's on the line, you know, these, what, three playoff games I've covered, two of them have been Stafford leading game-winning drives. Uh, you know, the, the wild card victory over Arizona, that was a pretty stress-free win. But, you know, 42 seconds left against Tampa Bay, 
he leads them, uh, you know, with a couple big plays, a 50-plus yard throw, I think, to Cooper Cup. And then uh, in the NFC Championship game when, you know, they were down by, I think, 10 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, you just see – you see why Matthew Stafford, I think, since he entered the league in 2009, he's got the most uh, fourth quarter or overtime comebacks in the NFL. And you just see some of the poise there. You see just – I mean, there's obviously the talent, uh, you know, him chucking the ball way downfield to Cooper Cup in Tampa Bay. You know, you just see the, the talent there, but you also just see the poise at the end of the game. And I, I don't know if I, I think that's one of many areas uh, where he's an upgrade over Jared Goff. Brady, have fun in L.A. You know, you can talk to Lind- Lindsay Theory, our Rams reporter. She's kind of gets off from all the from our mock draft pitch. She doesn't have to worry about that. I know she hasn't had to worry for a few. Years. I'm, I'm kind of in that same boat, too. I mean, the Seahawks, I think they've only made a couple uh, over the last five years and they didn't have one last year because of Adam Strait. They won't that's have right, one this that's year. Right. Because well, the Adam Strait, unless of course something happens with Russell Wilson, and in that go. case, you, you might, and I will be maybe, back on the phone. Yeah, maybe you'll have here. the pick that I have. I've done it every year, and I will say this: if they had listened to me, they'd probably be in better shape. So that's what I'll say. I've told you can ask Nick Wagner how often I tell him that. So especially on some of the picks where I miss, where I'm like, I you have choice between a couple guys, and I pick one, and they pick the other. I'm like, they should have listened to me. They would have been better off. They don't listen. Well, hope. Hopefully they listen and maybe they listen to this uh, podcast and they up their offer for Wilson. We'll see. (laughs) There you go. Brady. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks, John. See you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Brady for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with Chase Young on Friday. Talk to you next time.